podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's a little reunion for old listeners of this show because Peter Lawler is back on the podcast. Peter, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. How are you? It's good to be back, Manners. Do you remember where where it all started? In the back of your car outside the Hurstville Oval, pouring rain. Sounds seedy when you say it that way, but it was just three men and a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I had a chauffeur, didn't I? Yes. Sorry, I had a chaperone. Sorry, not a chauffeur. You did, Ben Horn. Um, You like short men, clearly. Um, So... You've, you've you've moved on to bigger and better things, as I um, as I, 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 I I've been saying on this podcast for a couple of years that you know I sort of taught you and Gideon how to cricket podcast, and then you you know you took it up and you started a, a cricket slash music podcast. But like me, um, my co-hosts abandoned me in the winter, and and I believe Gideon left the Australian and therefore left cricket, etc. So you're a free agent. Uh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, no, maybe, as Pete Seal would say. Yes, Gideon's gone and the Australian won't let me record a podcast with him independently. So, unfortunately, the podcast is, no longer exists in the form it was once in, which is a shame. I love doing it, Manners. It's so much fun doing a podcast and it was great fun. And Gideon and I just had a ball. We put our heart and soul into it. Um no, it was doing really well, and we have we have a lot of the same listeners. I know um, a lot of the listeners uh, listen to both shows, and so you know it's great to have you on this show to get your insights. No, look, I I was sorry to see it go. You know, that's kind sure, of sure. I was fist pumping just a little bit, but I was also very sorry to hear it go because it was a podcast I really enjoyed listening to. Um, I hope Gideon doesn't hate you as much as my former co-hosts do. That's my only. Um, hope for you. Yeah, yeah. I hope he doesn't either. No, no. Gideon and I are still very close. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm not. Cl- I'm not we close. Talk. We still talk. We just don't put the record button on. Yeah, good. But it's yeah, kind of. Not... I don't understand the point of talking if you're not recording it. You get like that in a podcast. Mm. That often yes. Gideon, you say, "Save it for the pod, comrade," and he just hang up on me. So at least he takes my calls now. Talks to me. Yeah, I don't even like to talk unless I'm recording, just in life generally. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, Paul and Jaleesa, I think, don't like me as much as Gideon likes you. So anyway, that's a story for another episode. Uh, <laughs> now, I've got you here to talk about the cricket news. There is lots happening. And the first bit of news, I believe, is related to you. So I believe the Amazon test crew just left your premises. Yes, they did, yes. I think it was announced this week, wasn't it, that Amazon have signed up for a third series of the test. The first one, of course, was around that 2019 series, wasn't it, with the Justin Langer's team? What was the second one about? I can't even recall. It wasn't as good. It was much Um, nicer because they won everything and stuff. Um, Yeah. So that that premiered earlier this year. And now there's a third one, which is going to be around the uh, English summer. Essentially, right. so it's the World Test Championship and the five test matches of the Ashes. It's a bit of material there. 
Yeah, a little bit of material there, but the, the huge news. I was knocked off my chair when I read mm. that Amazon Prime had bought the rights to all the ICC events in Australia because I had been expecting this to come in some form that a streaming service would buy some cricket, but I was flabbergasted by the size of the deal and the fact that there's no free-to-air component anymore to overseas World Cups. I mean, were you surprised? No. No, I think it's the way that, that sport is inevitably going and we would have been there a hell of a lot er, earlier were it not for um, the anti-siphoning legislation. We saw what happened to cricket in England after 2005 where it moved behind the paywall, essentially. It went to Sky mm. and, you know, and in many ways because of that did not cash in on on the sort of groundswell of excitement around English cricket uh, in 2005, um, it went back to being a boutique sport. Uh, so, no, I wasn't surprised it's gone behind a paywall. And, look, essentially as a journalist who's who lives behind a paywall too, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the free-to-air campaigners. Um, you know, it, essentially it costs a lot of money to produce these products and... Uh, and you're going to have to pay one way or the other. And if it's not through watching ads, it's going to be through um, subscription. I know that's uh, not a popular view, though. No, it's a very prudent view, but I just think that it's, it's a big change from having, like, World Cups and everything always mm. on, on a free-to-air network to now being on Amazon Prime. Um, and I, I, I would I was... be – and don't get me wrong, I would be concerned if Cricket Australia moved the summer behind a paywall completely. Because I think that would damage the game, perhaps not to the same extent that the game was damaged in England, but it would damage the game because uh, there are people who are reluctant to pay money to watch sport. There are people who can't afford to pay money to watch sport. And uh, But it's a World Cup. It comes around once every four years. or Well, they come around every year now, don't they? Um, <laughs> some so point or another. If you want to watch it, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big change. And I do think there's a part of this that has flowed on from the fact that the, the rights deal with Fox and Seven was a little soft. And I hope that Cricket Australia have got a lot of money for this deal because that could maybe make up the shortfall. Because if you get into administration levels at, at cricket associations around the country, you know, everybody's screaming for money. Yeah, they are. They've still got a fair bit of money, though, haven't they? Here in Australia, they can operate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're doing okay, but the you know the cricket deal, the TV deal was a little soft, and uh, compared to the deal before. So maybe they've got big. You know, I imagine Amazon's really uh, forked out because I do think there will be an element where some people ignore some of these events. Like uh, you know, this World Cup win that we've just seen had what, 2 million people watching at one stage on Channel 9. That would have mm. done wonders for the game in this country. I just wonder at the next World Cup, you know, how how drastically those figures are going to be reduced. Mm. It had record ratings too, didn't it, behind the yeah. paywall on Fox and on KO. It's and um, interesting. Yeah. So that's the big news. I probably, um, I think, probably should be careful what I say, given that I work with Channel 7 in the summer. But, uh, oh, yeah. Look, well, I mean, you've just... Been on. I mean, you're going to be a star of the next test documentary from Amazon Prime. You, you've got fingers in both camps. 
So <laughs> can't lose. Um, all right. So that's the big news. I can tell you though, there's a bit of a backlash already happening online um, from mm. the deal. And I think, you know, you look at the timing, rising economic costs, cost of living, living increasing, you know, people, I don't think this is going to go down too well. Yeah, but but when will people realise, when will it start to impact viewers? I mean, it doesn't impact them until these events roll around. Mm. So what, next is year. the next one the T20 World Cup in America next year, is it? And then there's, I think there's a Women's World Cup next year as well, a T20 oh, World yeah. Cup, or a, there's a couple of women's you're, tournaments coming up you're soon. Right. Yeah, see, I've had my head in the prism of men's cricket talking in this documentary, but the, it, it may have more effect on women's cricket than it does on men's cricket because because of that stage of development that it's in. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's the big news. Before we get on to a little bit of this test summer, Peter, I just want yeah. to ask you how you've reflected on the winter, the success of the McDonald's Cummins union because I've sort of wrestled with it because I think it's been a little bit up and down, but then it's, you know, almost – it's peaked with this historic World Cup win where everything just came together. Everything that they've been building and constructing led to this amazing win. Mm. How have you reflected yeah, you, on it? You, yeah, you could be a bit equivocal of it had they not won the World Cup, I guess. Uh, you could say, well, they only retained the Ashes, but that was a significant achievement, wasn't it, against, against a much stronger England cricket team than perhaps Australia had confronted in recent series. To pull that off is fantastic. And to win the World Test Championship final was fantastic. What I liked about the winter was the confirmation of Pat Cummins as a leader in Australian cricket. We saw it mm. in the first... We saw it particularly in the first test of the Ashes series where he won the test at Edgebaston with his bat. Um, we saw some of his efforts and we saw the confirmation of his skills as a leader in that one-day scenario where he had very little experience and where a lot of questions were being asked of his tactical abilities. Um, this team now is a very, very good cricket team and will be remembered in history. They're not quite great yet. I think to be great, you probably got to win the Ashes away and beat India in a full test series, but they've beaten India in the match that really mattered, the World Test Championship. But uh, they're looking very good. Like They are a very good cricket team and, and good on them for grabbing a few trophies this, this winter, the World Test Championship yes. and the ICC World Cup. And huh, nobody saw that coming. Nobody no. was backing Australia no. early in that series. No. no, I had you know I had people at work ringing me saying, "When are you going to write these blokes off?" That was before the before this tournament started. People were writing off their chances in this World Cup. Yeah, I agree with you. I was writing them off, and I think they took a lot of gambles in the World Cup, and they all paid off. I mean, famously, Andrew McDonald was the one that has said he wanted Travis Head in for the the back half of the tournament. Um, mm. And they they used a stats-driven approach to bowl first in the World Cup final. But, you know, that approach also led them to drop Travis Head for the first test in India, bowl first at the Oval in the final test of the Ashes. So they rolled the dice in the World Cup and they all came up, so you've got to give them credit. And I sort sort of think Pat Cummins actually in some ways is suited more to the short form of the game because 
I think you see in those long test series and, and test matches the strain it puts on him. Um, but he, he, I'm just amazed by his capacity. Like they call him Superman and he probably is. Uh, and, and that ability to, you know, when the odds were against him and the side to take the ball and say, I'll be the, I'll be the guy that gets the wickets here. He didn't, you know, he didn't have an outstanding, uh, his stats aren't outstanding the bowling category, but when it mattered, he was there and, you know, he took critical wickets. Um, I think a lot of people, well, they should be forced to reassess their judgment of Pat Cummins as a leader after the, after the winter that we've just had. Uh, I'm not sure that these are sorts of people who have, have minds that change when the evidence changes. Um, but it's an outstanding effort by him. Um, he's a significant leader, and uh, Australian cricket's really lucky to have Pat Cummins. Mm. And it was an outstanding effort too by McDonald, as you said, by the whole group. At some, at different points, somebody or everybody stood up in those things. And you mentioned the um, the, the stats-based decision to um, bowl first. I wonder if you had a batting captain, would that have happened? So your batters. Well, yeah. Well, we're all selfish, aren't we? But batters are going to go out there and go. Well, oh, we need to get those runs on the board, don't we? This is a dodgy looking wicket, you know. Let, let's get the runs on the board and change your approach. Bowlers know how difficult it is to bowl in conditions where the dew comes in in the second innings. So, it wouldn't have taken much to convince Bat Cummins, I'm sure, that this is the right option to take. It would have taken more to convince a batting captain, I reckon. Mm. I agree. Uh, because I, I've wrestled with the sort of makeup of this team. I had Nathan Lyon in recently and I asked him whether it was a player-led environment. And he said, no, it's not player-led, but he intimated it's just more professional in a sense that, you know, people are given more personal responsibility. Uh, people are empowered. Uh, they're given more tools. They're given more access to stats and physio and all this stuff. And it, it's up to the individual in this professional environment to really take advantage of it. I guess different to say when, you know, Justin Langer was in charge and was, you know, pushing them a bit harder. But I, I do think Langer did kind of lay the foundations for this team. If you sort of dig deep, I think, you know, he was the right, he was the man at the right time for the team and maybe McDonald's now the right man for the job. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more because if you think about that team that Justin Langer took on, it was a very different team at a very different point in its career and it had a lot of people who were wet behind the years and I think Justin Langer's the perfect coach in those circumstances and situation. It's a team of adults now um, and they've been licensed by McDonald and by Cummins, you know, you you know how you know how to get the best out of yourselves. You haven't got to this point in your career not knowing that. Uh, you're not new to the game. Go and do it. And and you even saw it in. Here is a strange thing, but even in that sort of response to Glenn Maxwell falling off the back of, of the golf cart. Now, in different circumstances, and perhaps if the side was also losing, and under a different administ, you know, a different coaching staff, administrative staff, that could have turned into a disciplinary issue. You know, mm. we know, you know, obviously the lads are out having a few beers, and there's there hasn't been, a, you know, <laughs> there's a suspicion that they might have had more than a few, but uh, there's no confirmation of that. And uh, Glenn, being Glenn, 
he just wasn't holding on. He had a he had his vape in one hand and he had his mobile phone in the other, and he was on the back of the golf cart. Every other, because I think you know there was sixteen of them there, and there were eight and divided up. So eight of them were on the back of golf carts. Everyone else knew to hang on. Glenn didn't. Um, <laughs> but, um, so he went, oh, well, you know, it, there was no overreaction to that moment. He missed a game, you know, bad luck, let's get on with it. Um, do you recall an Australian cricket team that disciplined Glenn McGrath for, uh, Glenn McGrath, sorry, Glenn Maxwell for for saying something out, out of line about uh, Matthew Wade all those years ago? Yes, I do. And it was a, a, a pretty harmless comment about why, why are you mad at batting behind Wade, you'd have to ask him, he's the captain. I mean, it was an interesting situation. But when Glenn then went and joined the Australian cricket team, they all sat there with their arms folded and said, you're out of line talking like that, mate. You're, we're going to discipline you. I was like, what sort of an environment's that? I mean, mm. you know, or that environment where you have homework gate, you know. Uh, th- this is a group of adults. They get on with it. They know what they're doing. And to this point, it's worked quite well for them playing cricket in that manner. And and Pat Pat's part of it too. I mean, Pat's the guy who says to Mitch Marsh when he when he comes back to test cricket in England under pressure, if you want to hit the first ball for six, hit it for six, mate. You know, and and Marsh is emboldened to bat as Marsh should bat, and we see the best performance of Mitch Marsh's life. I yeah. think. Agree. Yeah. So I'm taking now a positive approach. I'm just going to see the good in Pat Cummins and the, the leadership. I'm, I, I do think tactically there are times in test matches where he's under a lot of strain, but I'm just going to let that go. And I, I asked Nathan Lyon, are we asking too much of Pat Cummins? And he gave a very, you know, he's very thoughtful now, Lyon. He said, well, I, you know, whoever is Australian captain, we're asking a lot of, you know, you look at Steve Smith that destroyed him. Mm. You look at Tim Payne. I mean, it really pushed him to the limit. He, he almost broke in that India series. So whoever we give the C to, he's going to be able to accredit the amount of pressure. The fact is Pat Cummins can sort of do anything at the moment. Yeah. And, and I like when, when Pat took over the job, he sounded out a few of the past captains. And I think he, he said it has a use by date, his job. That yeah, I mean that's not necessarily the way it's been in Australian cricket. Has it like a captain serves until their career is done, essentially? Except I mean, Ponting was obviously different to that. But um, yeah, it's a wearing job. I mean, it, it demands a lot of you. And I, I wonder now whether he will stay on as one day captain. He was only appointed up to the World Cup. It's a bit hard to take it off him. Um, again, they're very practical in their preparations and giving players rests and things like that, aren't they? Um, but I, my my concern was always going to be around those immediate decision-making things around a tired, fast bowler late in the day. Mm. But they're not going to be thinking, you know, they're going to have fast bowler's brain, aren't they? They're going to be exhausted. It's going to be hard tactics, you know, keep in the game, keep in the bigger game, not in just the task at hand, but he's handled it pretty well. Yeah, I think there were times in the Ashes and you were there where I, I think the tactics kind of drifted, but that's, I guess, not just on Cummins, that's on McDonald's, that's on Smith. Uh, you know, everyone sort of, I guess, has to take some responsibility for yeah. it. They were slow to react a few times, weren't they? But mm. eventually they got it right. And a lot of people have, have a real philosophical issue with setting that deep point up early in a game. But um, I didn't mind that. Hey? 
I don't mind that. I don't think that's the mind. worst. No, yeah. he, he's a lot more conservative than you'd like to think, Pat Cummins, and we sort of held up um, in stark sort of contrast to the way England went about its cricket in the winter. You know, Australia plays quite a conservative brand of cricket these days, and he's quite a conservative operator. Definitely. Speaking of the, the English, uh, I'm a little bit scarred by the Ashes. I sort of have a sort Oh, really? Of... I can tell, Menace. I can, you can tell. tell. <laughs> like an in, but not an intense dislike for the English. It cost you your family, mate. <laughs> it, it, it has. It's cost me everything. Um, yeah. But I just feel that it's it, it was a real cultural cr- clash. Like I think you know, at the heart of it, the the two cultures fell down national lines over the Bearstow incident, and it, it and it kind of I think. I don't know, illuminated how at a base level Australians and English see cricket differently, that, you know, English people love a pint and a good time and they wouldn't run somebody out by underarming at the stumps, whereas in Australia that's fair go. Like if you're an idiot and wander out of your crease, you're out. And I I think that, like there's just that intense difference that really was made bigger by, you know, uh, McCullum and Stokes, uh, you know, complaining about everything. The sanctimony of the POM around what happened at Lords really got up my nose too. You know, the, the we're morally superior, we're better people. You, you'll work out one day that you're that uh, you, you should be more like us. The arrogance of McCullum and to say that um, essentially those words, um, but not literally. Uh, I found out. I found it astounding. I never expected uh, McCullum to be like that. Um, but to put it in a box, I quite enjoyed that. Uh, what erupted at Lords in a funny way. I mean, it was that fantastic. It's it's the beauty of sport. That high drama, that theatre, that clash of clash of cultures, culture war. You know, uh, issues of um, character, issues of we do it this way, we do it that way. That's fine. I could have coped with that. I could have lived with that, and you know, and for the rest, but for the rest of my life, I'd have been giving it to the MCC long room, you know, just because I'm a bolshy working class <laughs> kid from Bend- Catholic from Bendigo. Um, but like what really you- got yeah, so, go, yeah, But go. what really got up my nose was snubbing them for a drink. That's beyond the pale. Uh, everything else, fair game. Snubbing them for a drink after the ashes, and then pretending that you didn't snub them for a drink, that you arranged to meet them later um, when you didn't arrange to meet them later. And when my mail is, you are very cold to the some of the Australians in that scenario. Like, that really rankles. That really bothers me. I find that pathetic, frankly, absolutely pathetic from England that, that they behaved like that after that series. And, it, you know, it's, it, I love in footy, you know, and I'm an Aussie rules guy, man, but you know, after a game of footy you can oh, see man. two sides, you know, players smashing smashing each other, opposition players. Game ends, particularly if they're in someone else's town. They stop, they talk, where are we going out? You know, they're all catching up because, you know, they've all played together and they become mates again. And it's almost like the result didn't matter and some people get upset about that what a great and that's a great moment in sport when when sports people just become people and the contest is over and we remember those scenes from 2019 
which had also been a heated series of the players all in that room and having a drink and, you know, trying to find out each other's secrets. They're important, important moments. Uh, to snub them like that, no, I'm not moving on from that one. Well, I'll, either am I. Because what annoys me about that is, A, they crap on about the spirit of cricket. Well, the spirit of cricket is catching up with your team, as you say, and burying the hatchet. But what I don't like about it was the cowardly way they did it. Like, if you don't want to have a drink, and I think Nathan Lyon said on the show, like, Pat Cummins sent them some of the English team messages and invited them because into their rooms because Stray had retained the ashes. So tradition is England should go in there. And oh, he got no that. response. Yeah. Um just say no. If you don't want to meet them, don't leave the Aussie team. Just say no, F off. We we actually don't want to have a beer with you. Like man up if you if you want to own it. be that own it. own it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Look, and it went to the sort of uh, there was something that I saw on the I think it was the fourth night of the last Ashes. We went down for a press conference in the indoor nets there at the Oval. That's where the press conference is held. And in the other indoor nets, um, England were playing a game of keepy-uppy soccer thing, you know. And I was kind of looking at them and um, they looked like kids on a Christian youth camp or something. They were all high on each other and totally ignorant of the fact that something else was about to go on around them. And poor old Michael Divanuto came down to do the press conference. You know it's a bad day when they send down mm. the assistant coach. Um, and all we can hear are these clowns in the next net um, high high on themselves and their own hype and uh, completely oblivious to the fact that you know, there, there's another team, there are other people here going about things, doing things. And that's what happens at the end of the series. It's England high on themselves and, and this brand of cricket that they've invented that's going to save the game and high on their own sort of moral horse. Sorry. No, you, know, you, you no. speak preaching to the converted. I, I literally... You know when people say they like see red after the best incident, I actually saw red for like three days. Like everything, oh. everywhere I turned was just a shade of pommy red. One of the great rants of all time, Menace. That rant. It was uh, doing the rounds over in the UK. I loved it. Very, oh, it's good to hear. Good, good to hear. Yeah. So I've made a few friends in England. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the summer ahead. So, Pete, we'll put the ashes behind us and now imminently there's a test series about to start. Australia hosting Pakistan. Mitch Johnson has set tongues wagging with some acerbic comments about David Warner. Uh, what, what did you think of them when you read them? Uh, <laughs> Mitchell types like he bowls. It's terrifying for batters. Um, <laughs> terrifying for Warner. I think he, he he had some good points, as Tim Payne said, and he's uh and his radio show the other day. I think yeah, it, it's valid to question David Warner's place in the side. Uh, you know, it's valid to question whether players get a farewell tour. But I'll come back to that. But he went too far. It was emotional. And it was in a, and you knew that it was personal too. That there was a square up going on here. Um, to drag David's character into it, I thought was unnecessary. To drag mm. the sandpaper into it was unnecessary, and to 
question, uh, the questions around Bailey is a very grey area. I'm not so sure about that, but nobody's covered themselves in glory in this in this sort of uh, controversy. I think Mitch went to Mitch acknowledges that he did go a little too far in some of the things he said, and he could have ch- chosen his words more carefully. But um, I didn't like George Bailey's response one bit. Um, when he said, uh, I hope Mitch is okay, yeah. insinuating he might have mental health issues. Yeah, yeah. That that was the clear take. I, um, I think CA are trying to argue that that wasn't what was implied there, but it was pretty clear to me. And uh, if I'm wrong, I apologise, George, but uh, I thought that was unnecessary. Yeah, I think um, Mitchell Johnson's gone on his own podcast and said that he'd been texting Warner a few months ago. He was texting Bailey about something recently. So you're right, there is a bit of a square up going on there. And yeah. No, and oh, right, there no is. Yeah. Yeah. He had both of those people in his sights. Mm. Yeah. I do think the questions around Bailey are valid. Like I do think you can ask why a selector is hanging around there. Yeah. You can ask yeah. what – like Bailey hasn't made a tough decision yet. They let Finch just carry on through terrible form until the end. You know, they've let Warner – is um, they've let Warner continue. What's going on? Sorry, I'm just closing the door because the neighbour's dog's oh, barking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've upset it, Pins. That's right. No, so I think the questions about George Bailey are valid because he let Finch go on forever. He's let Warner go on forever. Like you can ask the question, mm. is Bailey too close to the team and the players? The way it was posed, though, I don't think was very good. There's an insanity that grips people in cricket when a player proposes to retire on their terms. Mm. We saw it around the Steve War final year and get your hankies out. Um and I don't get it because Warner's not dictating to the side you know, that he will play. He's saying, if chosen, I'll play, but after Sydney, I'm not playing anymore. That seems perfectly valid to me. You're right. It's valid to question Warner's place in the side. His returns have not been great. Um, I think they stick with him. I think at this stage, you know, you're not going to get any greater return from uh, bringing the other three in. I, I dismiss this argument that, you know, about blooding them or giving them experience. Um, they should be good enough at this point to just walk straight into that side and operate at an elite level. They've all had exposure to test cricket. They all know how it works. They're all at a certain point in their career. No harm is being done to them by not playing the first part of the summer. And, hmm. Let's see if they if the if any of those three actually move into the slot vacated by David Warner. There's every chance that Mitchell Marsh might open the batting against uh, the West Indies in the second part of the summer. Yeah, agree. And if you're going to chop Warner, you you probably should have done it, you know, before the Ashes or during the Ashes. It's it's yeah. gone on too long now. And uh, people people underestimate his contribution to the Ashes, and I I can sort of hear people's eyes rolling. Can you hear people's eyes rolling, man, as I say that? <laughs> But there are critical sort of they're poor, they're not great returns, but batted through some critical periods in that Ashes and then didn't cash in. But it was very very hard work to be an it is very hard work to be an opening batter in England, and uh, his his returns need to be seen in that context to a degree. 
Um, and also the partnership. He and Kawaja's stats as a partnership are, are mm. quite good. So, uh, you know, that is important as well. And um, I think Mitchell's suggestion that David is a fallen man and doesn't deserve um, any acknowledgement is almost as if he, his career deserves no acknowledgement. He should just disappear. I disagree entirely. You know, David's David did the crime, did the time. He was punished more harshly than any cricketer I can imagine or remember for what was a, a relatively insignificant sort of mm. transgression. Um, and he's been an extremely loyal servant to Australian cricket who's defied expectation at every turn and who's had, what, 13 different opening partners in that period that he's been there Maybe without more. him. You know, he's the cornerstone of Australian cricket in the last 10 years at the top of the order anyway. Yeah, definitely. It, it's strange to see such a fracture, though, with former teammates. It's not usually played out so publicly. I mean, these guys won a World Cup, won an Ashes. Um, and, and actually, Nathan Lyons suggested a baggy green party. Like, you know, I was sort of saying, is there a generational divide? And he was saying he would love nothing more to get all the, the players together in a room, like a reunion of all the living test cricketers. Be good to do it now. Like, <clears throat> Johnson and Ward. I've heard it said. I've heard it said over the years that you know, one of CA's dreams is just getting all the captains in one room. They can't even do that. Wow! Just invite them all. See see how many you can get. Uh, all right. So, Peter, I want to let you go, but just uh, you know, everyone's talking about this being a pretty uh, soft Test summer. But I've got a few. I've got three key storylines that I think are important. Yep. First one is. Cameron Green coming back into the side. I think the selectors have indicated they want to get him back in there sooner rather than later. And I think the fast bowling cartel want his overs every day because if he bowls 10 good overs of pace, that means they can be resting. So I think there's a really good chance when Warner retires, Green comes in sort of in the middle order somewhere. And as you say, either Marsh or Head or even Marnus goes up and opens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'd like to see that happen. I think it makes mm. it a more dynamic team. And I, I particularly like mm. to see somebody who can put pressure, and, and this has been the strength of David Warner, putting pressure on the opposition bowlers when the opportunity is there, particularly in Australia, and making life a hell of a lot easier for the guy, for the people at the other end. Um, in this case, Usman, who's never in a hurry. Yeah. And Marnus, there's her crash saying he doesn't, think Marnus wants to open or he doesn't think that's a good well, idea. I think Usman said it. Usman Kawaja said he's got openers, openeritis or something. There's no <laughs> he way. He doesn't want to do it. it. Really? That's, well, that's probably just, that's a humble brag from yeah. Usman though, isn't it? It's too hard for him. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember David Byrne went up the order to fit maybe Ricky Ponting at three or, um, he, mm. but he was the best number three in the country at the time, in the world, sorry. And he went up to open and, um, did really yeah. well there. So I think what I did, it. Uh, Shane yeah. Watson did it as, exactly. as cited earlier. Yeah. Why not? So that's one storyline, getting the big green back into the team. My second one is Nathan Lyon is on 496 test wickets and <laughs> it's a real great opportunity to celebrate how good he is. Uh, I've been struck sort of interviewing him, working with him a bit. You know, what a mature head he has. He's been around for so long now that I really hope he is being, that resource is being used within the Australian team because he's a bit of a shy guy and I think it's up to them to pull it out of him. 
he's um, getting a lot of grief behind the scenes for being on Media Street, Manners. Have you noticed this little yeah. shift? Nathan retiring lion, the guys were <laughs> always very reluctant to get in front of a camera or a microphone. Uh, he, he runs across the road now if he sees a camera. Well, I'm, I'm producing his podcast. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of the... Uh, oh, I am offending. I'm, I'm the offender. I'm enabling him. That's the word. I'm yeah, producing yeah, the no, podcast. There, there is a man with his eye to his broadcasting career after after cricket. Always might be a bit of a cynic here, but I see <laughs> there's some of them who are so reluctant to give you anything during their playing career when you're working in the media. Then you turn around and they're members of the media. Yeah. I thought you guys hated the media. <laughs> when we when we finish yeah. when we finish in the media, manners, we'll go and open the batting for Australia. Can't be that. I'd love that. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I also think. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. He's been on a, a real media tour, but yeah, big summer for Nathan Lyon. He's back, so I think that's something to watch out for. Five hundred Test rickets, and the last one is. Well, actually, I've got two left. The last one is I think Alex Carey. It's a huge summer for him. Inglis is just nipping at his heels, nipping at his heels. And I think if Carey stumbles against Pakistan, there could be a change. Well, it was interesting to hear George Bailey say that it was not considered for a second replacing Alex Carey for the start of the summer, nor should it be. But We'll watch with interest because there's there's a sense around the place and nobody really knows that what happened at Lords has had a bigger impact on Alex Carey than on anybody else. I hope it isn't right, but Alex is a is a sensitive guy. He's a guy who wants to be liked. He's a great keeper, and he was keeping brilliantly in that test. Just by the way, I was watching a few of the highlights last night, uh, and he's a very good bat too. So I, I'm glad they've stuck with him. But uh, I hear you, Inglis is. English is there and about. No, no, I really like Kerry as well. But I will say that just on George Bailey's comments about him starting the summer, he also backed him for the World Cup and then dropped him after one game. So just just take those comments with a grain of salt because it's a bit like <laughs> when the board backs a football coach, uh, it's usually means he got one last chance. Um, but yeah, that's oh, yeah, I find that <laughs> I find that sad about Alex Kerry because. He's one of the nicest cricketers I've ever met. He is just dripping with niceness. And for him to take it on so personally, the way the English reacted to it, like I don't think in life you can, like I think mm. like you do what's right and if England are going to react like pork chops about it, you just got to write that off. You just go, well, stuff them. I mean, we did what was right. But, you know, in some point he just has to embrace that hate and, and love it. You know, like Ian Botham, when he used to love the Aussies hating him, you know. I don't think Kerry has that in him. That's the problem. No, he doesn't. And, and I don't think you can manufacture that either. Um, yeah, I, I actually recall a, a, was it last year or the year before having a, the, the players were having a drink in the pub uh, and I was walking by and they called me over. Um, I didn't drink with them. I won't drink with players. Um, and talking to Kerry, and it was very obvious that he was concerned about the image of the cricket team and what people thought of them, um, and there was a sense that maybe they were on the nose at that period. Yeah, he's a sensitive guy, and <laughs> it's a tough place to be a sensitive guy, isn't it, out in the middle of a test match, particularly particularly in England with all those ugly people like the MCC members, Menace. 
No, and just the way the whole crowd was abusing the players for the whole series and, you know, just mm. all just drunks just yelling abuse. It was unedifying. And I know it happens in Australian grounds. I'm not saying it doesn't, but the, the English took it way too far. Um, right, last one. Are we underrating Pakistan? Everyone's saying, oh, Australia's just going to cakewalk this test summer. I thought Pakistan come here. They were pretty bad but in the past like the tour before that they were okay like there's some talent there like i don't think they'll win a test but they could they could yeah. make us nervous it's been a hell of a long time since a pakistan side has won a test match in australia manners yeah, early 90s was it yeah yep. yeah and it'll yeah it'll be a bit of a shock and it'll be an upset if they win one this time i reckon yeah, yeah. There, there's a bit of chaos in the camp as you may have noticed oh, yeah. always yeah. is all right, so same, isn't it? Because I love, I had such a great time in Pakistan. Uh, I, I really like Pakistan cricket. I like Pakistan cricketers. Baba's a legend, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he is. And that's why they're so unpredictable. Maybe we'll get mm. the glimpses of their their good stuff. I hope we do. Well, Pete, so you're heading over to Perth. It's called the West Test now. I want it to be called the Western Test and be cowboy themed. Um, right. So, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, just maybe take that to Christina Matthews while you're over there. Have a great time, though. Okay. Thanks, Menace. Yeah, I'm off on Monday. It's fantastic. The... Starting again. Yeah, where can all the, the listeners keep up with you at the moment? If there's no podcast, it's just the Australian? No. No. I just have to go back and play our greatest hits. Yeah. Just play your greatest hits. All right. Yeah. Well, indeed. Um, I am actually getting Gideon on the podcast in the next week or two because I've, I've got his uh, Ashes book. And I've been well, flicking through it. And they invite me. Pod. We could do a. We'll do a. We'll do a tap takeover. Oh, we'll do a threesome. <laughs> That'd be great. Hey, hey, I noticed he used to dominate the interviews. Though. Gideon was just like a man on a mission when he had a when he had a, a something in his eye line. Just like everyone out of the way. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, I was support act. Support act. I'm a humble guy, man. I know my place. <laughs> I know. Well, Pete, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time because I know you're about to embark on a busy, busy summer and the listeners, they love hearing from you. Most of them would have been listening yeah, to cricket, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so take care and we'll catch up soon. Good to chat, mate. Cheers. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.